not only a psalm that begins the book of Psalms, but probably um, summarizes the message of the book of Psalms. It's great to hear it. Uh, today we're going to be doing something a bit different in that um, after the message we're going to give a, a, a period of time over to discussion so that um, we can talk about the things that have been uh, presented in the last uh, month or so concerning um, what it means to be a church and what the Bible says about church life and uh, especially um, how God's love affects that. So perhaps you've had some questions that you're wondering, why are we doing this? What does that mean? And, and so forth. You'll have an opportunity. We, we want to be open with you and make sure that we um, communicate as clearly as we can and answer any questions that you might have. And you might have some from today as well. Um, I really appreciate the, the uh, ministry that Pastor Jeremy has had in the last few weeks and his messages. And uh, we've been in contact uh, even as I was on the other side of the world uh, going over his outlines and so forth. I heard his message from last week, which was outstanding. And um, uh, so this is just a continuation along that vein. This one is on the covenant of love. There's a, a new movie out. I, I guess it's still out. It's called uh, No Strings Attached. Now, I haven't seen it, nor would I commend it to you to see. But from what little bit I've seen of the... Uh, advertisement for it, uh, it it's a, a, a good indication of where our society is no strings attached uh, that's how people view relationships to work to other people uh, sadly even sometimes in um, very personal relationships even marriage uh, and how people view church I'm going to go there, I'm going to visit there, I'm, I'm going to listen to what they have to say, I might worship there, but there's no strings attached. There's something better that comes along, a new church down the road, or something closer to me, or music I like better, there's no strings attached. And that kind of mindset set has really infiltrated much of our thinking, especially here in the United States. Well, today we want to look at um, covenants. We're going to begin with Old Testament covenants to kind of give us an idea of how God used covenants all the way through Scripture, and then we'll, we'll center in on the New Testament covenant and what that means for us as a church. So, in the Old Testament covenants, uh, there are some differences, but there are a couple of things that hold them together, a couple of ideas that are the same throughout all the covenants, and that there are these two ideas. Covenants were used to mark off or identify a people of God. It was a way for God to say, these are my people. So it was used to mark off or identify a people of God. And secondly, it was to establish the kingdom of God or the rule of God over his people. So these are my people over whom I am king. Uh, we want to look at a few specific covenants 
uh, today, and we'll, we'll do this just briefly because really the idea is not to study the Old Testament covenants, but just to see how they help set up the idea of the New Testament covenant. Um, and we won't even look at all of them, just several. Uh, there, are, there are others like uh, the covenant with, uh, with Adam in the garden, and we know from that that there was an inside the garden and an outside of the garden and it was definitely better to be inside the garden uh, than to be kicked outside of it uh, there's the covenant with Noah uh, sealed with a sign of a rainbow eventually but there was an inside the ark and there was an outside of the ark and you definitely wanted to be inside the ark in, in that day there's, there's always been an inside and an outside um, let's consider several uh, example covenants in the Old Testament beginning in Genesis chapter 12 with the, the covenant through Abraham we're going to uh, look at this unfolding covenant starting at Genesis 12 <clears throat> this is um, this covenant is unique in that it takes several um, chapters and many years to unfold the covenant, which we see actually given in, in detail in chapter 17. But it begins in Genesis chapter 12. Here is God laying claim to start a people with one person, Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Notice that he begins by separating Abram from other people. God's people are always a separated people, a unique people unto him. And he begins the nation, what will become the nation of Israel here by separating one man. Get away from your country, your family, your father's house, and the land that you're in to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham receives basically two commands, and that is to, to go and to be a blessing. Not unlike the Great Commission, which is to go and to make disciples of all nations. Uh, so we notice that God marks off a people starting with Abraham for himself. And he will use this marked off people to bring great blessing to the whole world. Now go to, to Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now that could be translated, I am your exceedingly great reward, or your reward shall be exceedingly great. But as we sing today, that, if, that God is our treasure, our, He is our prize, He is our all in all. He, he is everything to us he is our exceedingly great reward uh, Abram said to 
But Abram said, Lord God, what shall you give me since I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So as God continues to develop this covenant with Abraham, he, he reminds uh, Abram that he, his, he is his shield, he is his reward. And now he tells him that he is going to bless him so that his descendants are beyond counting. Verse 6, so um, Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And we saw that in Romans 4, how important a passage this is, that <clears throat> salvation from the beginning was based on faith and not by works. He believed in the Lord, and he accounted it for him for righteousness. And so a covenant is based on who God is and faith in him as God, our personal faith in him. Then one more passage in, in Genesis 4, this Abrahamic covenant. And that's chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and to Abram and said to him, "I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless." So God here declares who he is and what he requires. I am almighty God. That's who I am. Walk before me and be blameless. That's what I require. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. What God is doing here is he, he initiates the covenant with Abraham in verse 2. I will make my covenant between me and you. So God is the one who starts it, he initiates it, and he's the one who guarantees it. This is going to happen, and uh, this is called an unconditional covenant because God is guaranteeing that this is going to happen. I'm going to make you a great nation and multiply your descendants. I am going to do this. Not something that Abraham's going to do, but something God will do through Abraham. It's an unconditional covenant. God guarantees it. And verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram. Your name shall, shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And he, he changes his name. That is often part of a, of a covenant. We see that, for instance, in a covenant of marriage, where the wife takes on her husband's last name in, in that kind of a covenant. And here in this covenant, God is renaming Abraham, signifying his rule over him but also it's part of the, the covenant process. Verse 7, 
And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So this covenant is going to be ongoing, everlasting. It is God marking off a people for himself. I will be God to you. And he's declaring his rule over them, establishing his kingdom. Verse 8, And I will give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So again, not only your God, Abraham, but all the descendants I give you, I'm going to be their God too. They'll be a marked off special people to me. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child shall, among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. That was it. That was the part of the keeping of the covenant on the part of mankind. And, of course, it started when, when uh, Abraham was now an adult. But for the generations to come, when would it start? Verse 12, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. When they were babies, when they are eight days old. So it was nothing that they did to keep the covenant that they did themselves as a child. It was uh, God was guaranteeing this covenant covenant and he gives the circumcision as the sign of the covenant okay now the covenant through Moses Exodus chapter 3 <clears throat> we're just kind of rushing our way through these covenants to, to get kind of the background understanding from the Old Testament of how God used covenants Exodus chapter 3. After Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, starting at verse 5. Uh, Moses is led to the burning bush, which he sees and he um, is amazed at. Then God says to him, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Now, look at what God says here. Moses, not only am I your God, but I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. The... the uh, covenant that was established with Abraham was an ongoing covenant remember he said it was for an everlasting covenant so by the time we get to Moses that covenant still prevails it's still in place it's not like in the Old Testament one covenant replaced another but they were cumulative so you had the Abrahamic covenant to which is added the Mosaic covenant uh, which is what's going to happen here soon and He's God is a personal God. I'm the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, as God continually says. 
Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. They are his people. Remember, God marks out a people for himself. He declares them to be my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land uh, to, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress him. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? And, and he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Uh, and Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers sent me to you, and they say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. So God is reminding them, you are my people. I am going to deliver you. I, I declare you for myself. I'm putting my name upon you. Now, skip way over to Exodus 19. Um, we'll look at verses 3 through 6 of Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you, shall, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And notice this is different than the covenant with Abraham. That was an unconditional covenant. This, God is putting conditions on this one. Um... Verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, so if you have an if-then statement, that's conditional. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was God's purpose for the people of Israel. Then in chapter 20, um, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And we have 
the Ten Commandments and then following that uh, a number of other commandments pertaining to to worship and ministry and daily life and dealing with each other and uh, worshiping God and all those things so here come the law and the commandments so the covenant through Moses um, was a conditional covenant but God is declaring you are my people and I rule over you I am the Lord God you shall have no other gods before me but you are my special people. So remember the two main purposes of a covenant. To, to mark off or identify a people of God. And to establish God's kingdom or, or rule over those people. Uh, then uh, finally the covenant through David. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel chapter 7 starting at verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. So now God is talking about his people again, and he's talking about his rulership again. He is the king of all, but he set up David to be a king, a human king over his people. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth moreover I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more for they sh nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now God is talking ab uh, about, um, who's a smart guy? Saul, Solomon, yeah, <laughs> who would come after David, a son. The king, kingdom is not only established through David, but through a particular son of David, Solomon. And he, Solomon would build the temple. That's what he's talking about here. He will establish, I'll establish his throne, he'll build a house for me. Verse 14, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is now going back to a an, uh, uh, non-conditional covenant. Because God is saying, if, if the one who follows you sins, I'll chasten him. I'll punish him. But I'm going to establish your throne forever, David. That someone who comes from you, from your lineage, will have a throne that endures forever. I guarantee that. According to all these words and according to this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. 
Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this is, was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken to your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of men, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For Lord, you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, and there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt the nations and their gods for you have made your people Israel your very own people forever and you Lord have become their God now O Lord God the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house establish it forever and do as you have said so let your name be magnified forever saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. So God established his uh, eternal covenant through David that there would be a king that would come through him who would rule forever. So God is not only establishing a people, but establishing his kingdom rule. So we have that, this kind of background of Old Testament covenants. Now we come to the New Testament covenant, or the covenant of the New Testament. Christ is the fulfillment of all the expectations of all the Old Testament covenants. He is the last Adam. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the only one who could fill, fulfill all the law of Moses. He is the son of David. He is the, the promised eternal king. So Christ is the fulfillment of all the expectations of the Old Testament covenant. But Jesus did not merely come to fulfill the expectations and demands and promises and laws of the Old Testament. He did all that, but he didn't come just to fulfill that. He came to establish a new covenant. Not just to fulfill the old covenant, but to establish a new covenant which would do away with the old covenants. And as Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, four chapters in Hebrews says, he came to establish a better and an everlasting covenant. So uh, Matthew 26, um, here's, we see that this new covenant is through Christ. It would have been great if Christ had come to fulfill the old covenant and to show men, you see, this is possible. But knowing our frame that we are but dust, he did more than that. He established a new covenant, this covenant through his blood. Matthew 26, starting at verse 26, during the Last Supper, 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shedded which is shed for many for the remission of sins, for the, the removal or the taking away of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit from the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he is establishing this new covenant. It is established in his blood. The blood is a, the blood of the new covenant. And... Notice that um, he is that it's related to his kingdom. Not only is he marking out a people for himself by uh, this is this is the blood of my the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The new people he's marking out are those whose sins are forgiven. The those who belong to him, who believe in him, whose sins are remitted, taken away. But he's also talking about his kingdom rule. That's why he says in verse 29 that um, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine with you from now on until the day that I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Because he came not to just save people, but to be their king and to establish his kingdom to mark off or identify a people for himself and to establish his kingdom and his rule over those people. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a passage that we um, most often use when we are having communion. And in fact, we'll have communion next Sunday. And uh, we'll be back here thinking of these things again. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, or which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the cup is the new covenant that's brought about by his blood. Notice again verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, de- you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Till he comes. And when he comes, he'll establish his kingdom. So... He is marking off his people, those who believe in him, who are saved by the blood of the Lamb and declaring his kingdom among them. Now, uh, we also see that the church is the new covenant people of God. 1 Peter chapter 2. There, there was such a thing as the old covenant people of God. It started with one man, Abraham, and then through him, not Ishmael, but Isaac. And Abraham and Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And it wasn't through Esau, but it was through Jacob. So 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, and his 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he established the old covenant people as the nation of Israel. But now he's establishing the new covenant people as his side, the church, those who come to God through his blood. And notice what he says about them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are being built up together. It's, it's not just individuals scattered throughout the world, one saved here, one saved there, one saved over here, and they have no connection with each other, but they're being built up together like living stones. So we're like stones who are being put together to build a temple, and those stones are connected together by the brick and mortar of the, of the building founded on the foundation of Christ. We're, but we're not just dead stones, we're living stones building up a temple of praise to God. Verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter. Notice how he talks about us as being a marked out people, a special people for him. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. So together you are marked out as a special people of God, a group of believers, a, a church, a holy nation, his own special people. So the, the church comprises the marked out people of God, those who are redeemed through him. Now, this new covenant is a threefold union. We are united to Christ representationally. We are united to Christ spiritually and by faith. And we'll only look at the first of these today. First of all, we are united to Christ representationally. I really tried to come up with a different word than that because that's kind of an awkward word, representationally. It doesn't come up very much in our everyday language, but it's, it's the right word. Let me just tell you what it means to be united to Christ representationally. Um, this means that because we have a relationship with Christ... We take on his identity and his work. In view of the fact that, that we are related to Jesus Christ, we are his people. We take on his identity and his work. And let me explain that a little bit. Um, thus, we have a shared identity with Christ. This is similar to uh, having a shared identity. This is similar to a 
a wife taking on her husband's name in the covenant of marriage. Or it's similar to an adopted child taking on the adoptive father's name. It's a shared identity. Or it's like uh, an immigrant who becomes a citizen of a nation taking on the name of, of that nation. I'm now an American or whatever nation they become a citizen of. They have a shared identity. And so, like a wife taking on her husband's name, they have a shared identity. Um, and uh, that means everyone who shares, shares everything. Like a family shares a home. Uh, th this is the, the Crandall family, and they live in that home. Uh, a family shares a home, or... Uh, Maybe more generically, a family shares a meal, a family shares a vacation, or uh, uh, all kinds of things that we share together. We, we do it as a family. Our identity in Christ means that we, we share Christian life together. We are a Christian family together. So Christ is our shepherd we are the sheep of his fold. He, he is the king. We are his servants. God is our father. We are his children. We are related to him relationally. And we take on his identity. So, so being united to Christ representationally means we, we take on his identity and we take on his work. For instance, Christ takes our guilt. We take on his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we take on the benefits of his work. We take on his righteousness. He takes our weakness. We, we receive his strength. In fact, Romans 6 reminds us that we are united to Christ in the likeness of his death and resurrection. So much so that Paul could say, I am crucified, where? With Christ. I'm not just crucified by myself over here, separate from Christ, just being crucified. No, that's not how Paul puts it. I am crucified specifically with Christ. Why, why would he say, I'm crucified with him? I wasn't even alive back then. I am crucified with him because representationally I am back there. He represented me. He died for me. I received the benefit of his death on the cross way back then for me today. So I take on his work. I not only share in his name, I'm called a Christ one. <laughs> as you are, you're called a Christian, not only sharing his identity, his name, but we share in his work. We take on the benefits of, of who he is. I am crucified with Christ. Jesus said in John 11, because I live, you will live also. Romans 8 reminds us, because he inherits, we inherit all things. So we we share in his identity. We share in his work as well. So there are um, 
<clears throat> there are a number of practical applications related to church life from this. I'm just going to give you a couple quick ones today. First of all, the fact that the church shares in Christ's identity means that the members of the church, church also identify with one another. Since Greg here shares with the identity of Christ, he's a son of God. I also share in the identity of Christ. I'm a son of God. That means that Greg and I are brothers. See? So we share this identity. And it's an identity that we will share forever. I'm not part of your physical family, Greg. But I, more importantly, the bloodline of Christ. I'm your brother forever. You're stuck with me. <laughs> you know what? Just start dealing with it. Right? <laughs> And that, that bond that we share, then that identity that we hold together is an identity that is in Christ. So, uh, just like members of a, a physical body share an identity. This is my uh, right hand, and this is my other right hand. It's my left hand. Now, they're different, and they do different things, but... Uh, if I do something like play a guitar, they work in harmony sometimes. And that the left hand is, is doing the chords and the right hand is doing the, the strumming. So they, they work together and the brain kind of puts it together uh, and tells them what to do, but they do it together. They're separate hands. And the right hand can't say, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Sometimes they do their own thing, but sometimes... They're, they're united together. They do things together. But at all times, all day long today, this is going to be my right hand. This is going to be my left hand. When I go to sleep at night, this will be my right hand. This will be my left hand. It's been that, like that all my life. You see, uh, they identify with this body. They're part of this body. And uh, that's how we are in a church. We identify with the body all day long, all the time. Um, we share all of life together. Every day, every moment, we're part of the body. Not just when you come on Sunday morning. This is not the body just because we worship together on Sunday morning. That's not church. That's worship. It's great that we get to come for worship and that uh, afterwards we'll have fellowship and afterwards we'll have uh, ABF but the church is the church all day long every day if one part mourns we all mourn if one part rejoices we rejoice with them even if it's on Tuesday right if one part sins, we're all responsible. Not meaning responsible in that we caused it, but if one part sins, we are responsible to pray for that brother or sister, perhaps to confront them, to encourage them, to, to teach, to, to guide, to guard. We're responsible. We share in all of life together. Not just when we worship together, but 
in all of life, including our family life, including our work life. You might wonder, how, can, how does the work life have to do with my church life? And we tend to compartmentalize like the, there's the sacred group and then there's the secular. But actually, you should view your church family as having a lot of say and input and direction in your work life. If you are looking for a job, you're out of work, you would share that with us that we as your brothers and sisters might be able to pray for you and with you that God would direct you to that, that position he has for you. And then as you start work, to pray for you that you would be a good testimony at your work, that you would do what you, what you need to do, that you would learn the job, that we, we would pray for you to be a good employee. We would remind you of Colossians chapter 3 that, that says to remember that we do not serve man, but we serve Christ, even in our jobs. Where Paul says, don't serve with eye service, pleasing men, but rather remember that you serve the Lord Christ. And he's talking about slaves working with masters. To remind each other that when you go to work, it's not separate from your church life and being a Christian, it's integrated with it. And we as your church family want to pray for you. And perhaps you're having a, an issue at work dealing with uh, uh, an employee or a boss or coworker, and you might come to your small group and say, pray for me about how to handle this situation at work, you see. And so, church life and your brothers and sisters in Christ ought to have a lot of input even in something like your work to be able to share in that with you together and help guide you how, how do we think through this as a believer what, what does God have to say about this how can we help guide one another and encourage one another um, that's what it means to be part of a family to be citizens of a kingdom, to be stones in a temple. The successes and the failures of others are mine. Their concerns are mine. Their prayers are mine. Their needs are mine. That's how we should view it. And also, uh, the fact that the church identifies, uh, shares Christ's identity means our relationship with one another is not purely optional. It's not purely optional whether we will have a relationship or not. Now, I'm going to try to make a distinction here, so I hope you hear me carefully. It is a matter of our own human responsibility and freedom to choose with the Spirit's direction, which local church we will be committed to. You have the right, you have the freedom under God's Spirit's direction to choose which local church you will be committed to. But you do not have the freedom in Christ to ignore His body or to remain aloof from His church. To do so would be to be like a wandering sheep from the fold. It would be, in fact, what Hebrews 10 calls to profane the covenant. 
In other words, you may certainly choose to uh, where to be committed, but not whether to be committed to a local church. You see the difference? You may certainly choose where to be committed, but whether to be committed to a local church. We are called into one body to be a church body. And if God has called you to this body, then you are to be committed to this body. Now we'll talk more about this next week as we go through... um, we are united to Christ spiritually and we're united to him by faith. We'll look at the local church covenant, which is a mutual bond and a commitment. Talk about what, how that fleshes out. But I had um, providentially planned for this to be a two-week message, so we're going to jump to the end of it now because we're near the end of our time. And if you can find this little sheet in your bulletin, it's kind of a grayish color, where it says, Church Covenant Sample. Now, a number of things to say about this, even before we begin, is that we're, we're not at this moment saying, this is what we're proposing. We're saying, this is what the elders are thinking about we might do months from now. We're just, this is how the Lord has been leading us, but we want to share this with you because we really believe that, that God will work in you, our brothers and sisters in Christ as a church body. If, it, if it's his will for us as a church, he, you will agree with it. You will agree. <laughs> no, I mean, you, I mean, I, we so much believe that this has to be of the Spirit. This is not something that's, that's from the elders to you, but rather we trust is from God to us, and we're trying to voice that. And if it is really as of the Lord, He will guide in your hearts too. Um, this is a covenant that comes from um, Capital Baptist Church. It, uh, and... It's just a sample of a covenant. It's pretty well worded, though I'll have to say that uh, if, if I were to adopt this, I would change the wording in a couple of places. There's a couple of things I think, well, it could be said in a different way that might be better. And so we're not even saying this is the exact wording. It's just, this is just basically getting the idea out. You know how we have a, we have a statement of faith, which is our commitment to doctrine, we have our statement of faith. We say that we believe that, that this book, all 66 books of this book are inspired by God and true. This is the word of God. So that's, you know, that's part of our statement of faith, what we believe. What we would think of this is as a, a statement of our commitment. In fact, um, we've talked that that might even be a better word than covenant. To say a statement of our commitment to one another. That would be... Um, not just what we believe, but how we, how we agree that we should view one another and live with one another. Now, as you read this uh, with me, you'll notice that a lot of this is just taken from Scripture. These are just verses 
plucked out of scripture so it's um, um, a very biblical presentation so with that little bit of background let's, let's read through it I'll read it out loud you just read along with me <clears throat> having as we trust been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit we do now relying on his gracious aid solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace we will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others we will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends we will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows we will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world denying ungodliness and worldly lust and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life we will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship ordinances discipline and doctrines we will con contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry the expenses of the church the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel through all nations we will when we move from this place as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry on the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all amen and that is a, an example of a local church covenant Now, we, uh, we stop here just with a, a word of prayer. And the praise team is going to come back up and, and lead us in a song, give you a chance to, to stand up and stretch as we, um, before we have a little discussion time here. And then, um, if you happen to be just visiting with us today, you don't need to feel compelled to stay, but all the others, I would encourage you to do so. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we, we thank you for the covenant in your blood. We think about the, the high cost, uh, which is beyond all of our understanding, in fact, that you are willing to pay to make us your people, your own special people, who had not obtained mercy, but who have now obtained mercy through the blood of the cross. We thank you that we are your people, your church. And that you have established your kingdom and rule over us. We want to live under that as 
as befits those who go by your name. And, uh, and Lord, we want to be able to minister to one another as you would direct us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.